Brandon, one of our ushers, I don't think I'm coming through on this microphone. Can I get a yay or nay? I'm okay? Okay, it doesn't sound particularly audible, but I'm glad to know that that uh, is not the case. We are in a sermon series on the book of Ruth. Now, Ruth is a little bit of an odd book in the Bible. It's uh, Maybe awe is not the right word, but it's a book in which God is a little bit inconspicuous. Uh, it's not an overtly religious book. The setting is not religious. God is not, he's, God's definitely present. He's just not a main actor. He seems to be a little bit in the background, the people. It's more of a romance story. Uh, it involves two people, Bo, or three people, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And the question that we've been asking in this uh, story is where is God and God is in the margins of the book of Ruth and that's true for you and me God is in our margins as well so we've, that's the question we've asked as we've looked at this book where is God uh, when he's not conspicuously active last week we saw that God was at work in uh, quote uh, random circumstances a better word would be providential circumstances so God had worked through sort of a unseen or um, uh, the circumstances of life, that word providence. And today we're going to look at God at work uh, through his people. And though what we're going to observe is that God is at work in two ways in this story of Ruth chapter 5. We're going to first observe God at work really in spite of his people. And secondly, we're going to see God at work in cooperation with his people. So to the first point, God at work in spite of uh, of his people in spite of uh, some bad decisions. So let me set the stage. Have your pew Bible in front of you. Uh, we just read the first five verses. That's five verses of a larger story. So a quick rehearse, a rehearsal of where we are. Uh, the story of Ruth involves two women, Naomi, a mother-in-law, Ruth, a daughter-in-law. They start in a foreign land, Moab, not just any foreign land. Moab is like the foreign land, the place that you don't want to go. And Ruth is a Moabite, not just a Foreigner, but like the really bad type of foreigners from a, a certain uh, from the perspective of that time, they uh, uh, both are widowed. Uh, both husbands die; they're left abandoned. So they go from Moab, the land of Moab, back to uh, Bethlehem. And uh, the real question is: Are they going to survive? They're two women without resources, without husband. Uh, their actual survival is a real question. And at the end of chapter 2, what we saw in chapter 2 is that they, in fact, will survive. Uh, they have this chance, providential encounter with Boaz. And Ruth, the younger daughter-in-law, is able to glean from the fields. In other words, correct, collect the scraps that fall from the ground. So they're going to survive. Great. And that's how chapter 2 ends. There's plenty of food in the, in the pantry. Uh, and the, chapter 2 ends with this statement... So she kept close to the young woman, uh, and she lived, uh, Ruth lived with her mother-in-law, Naomi. So they're going to survive. That's great. But as you know, there's a big difference between survival and thriving. And chapter 3 begins, you can just see the mother-in-law, Naomi, doing a little bit of scheming. All right? So mother-in-law staying with daughter-in-law. They're going to survive plenty of food. But you can see Naomi begin to calculate and think, you know what? I wonder if there's a little bit more for us out there, a little bit more security, uh, a little bit more than just food in the pantry. So she hatches a plan. And here's the plan. Let me just read it to you. 
Here's Naomi's plan. You got this guy Boaz. He helped us out. Happens to be a, um, he's the man that we gleaned food from. So he has some affection for you. Uh, uh, Ruth, by the way, is, uh, has a reputation of being a very attractive woman. And so here's Naomi's plan. The mother-in-law says this. Uh, Boaz, your relative, he's going to be at the winnowing barley tonight. So the harvest is done. They've collected all the, all the grain. So they're going to winnow it. That means uh, sh- uh, sift the, the good parts from the bad parts. This is verse 3. He's going to be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. So go wash yourself. Put on your cloak. Put on your best. Go down to the threshing floor. Don't make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And watch where he lies down. Observe the place, verse 4. Then go uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, that's just a bad idea. Like, I've read several commentaries on this, and, and some commentaries try to package this like, you know, this is just part of the cultural norm. That's the way they did things back then. I just don't buy it. There's only one thing a man's going to be thinking about if he wakes up and finds some attractive young woman lying in his bed. And it's not good. And this is a bad decision. This is the equivalent of a, uh, remember the college scandal of some weeks ago, some months ago, when you had uh, parents trying to secure the future for their children by some pretty murky decisions. Uh, You know, I'm not sure, I don't know the details, but they didn't do a very good job. They made some bad choices. This is the very same thing. She is trying to secure the future of her daughter-in-law by seducing Boaz. And that's just not a good idea. Like, parents, don't do this. It's helpful to remember that at least a third of the Bible is written as a negative example. Like, (laughs) there's plenty of parts in the Bible where you should read and say, ah, there's what I don't do. And this is one of those things don't do. Remember the purpose of, the, of this, uh, this chapter. The question we're asking is, where is God? God in the margins. And the good news, the reassuring portion of this passage is that despite a bad decision, God's plans are not hijacked. God can write straight with the crooked lines of our lives. And that's good news because all of us have crooked lines in our past. And the plans of God are not so susceptible to our uh, Bad choices, as we may think. I'm not trying to give you license to say, ah, God forgives, that's his job, I can do whatever I want. That's not the point. The point is when you look in the rearview mirror and you think, oh man, that was just not, I did not do what I should have done. This story is an assurance. God writes straight with the crooked lines of your life. There is nothing that is so broken that cannot be fixed. My dad was a carpenter. I've referenced him several times. Uh, He was a very good craftsman. And he said, David, there's nothing that you've broken so bad that you can't fix it. Uh, As a little story, I was in the fifth grade. We were doing a a little performance. My performance was I was uh, lip syncing that classic of the 80s, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Everyone remember that? (laughs) Absolutely. Wham is the name of the band. Yeah. Uh, It's funny the things that you remember. So my job was to make this guitar, and I was going to have the, I was the, I guess, I think it was the George Michael in the group, I think. George Michael was a part of Wham. Yeah, there we go, okay. Uh, so I, my job was to make a guitar, 
And my dad said, let me make it for you. you know, of course, a cutout guitar out of plywood. I said, no, I, I, can, I can do it. And of course, the guitar I made looked zippo. It looked nothing like a guitar, it, not even a musical instrument. And dad said, well, let me, let me give it a try. And he took it, and he made the crooked line straight. And that's the point of the story, or the point I'm trying to draw from this story is, you all have crooked lines in your past. I have crooked lines in my past. There are things that you're not going to be able to erase. What do we do when we realize that we've made a decision like Naomi? Maybe she went in with the best of intentions, and she realized, oops, that was not good. You turn it to God. He is a master craftsman. He writes straight with crooked lines. So that's your first point, God at work, and what I think is a very bad decision. But if you were to take a step back and think, what's the real point of Ruth chapter 3, I, I think it's actually the opposite, is that yes, God can write straight with the crooked lines of your life, but I think the, more, uh, main, the main point of this passage is that that's not the normal way God works. God normally works through his faithful people who act with integrity. So let's go on in our story. So this is, again, have the passage out in front of you, because Naomi, excuse me, so Naomi had the bad idea, right? Verse 5, Ruth says, everything I, you say to do, I'm going to do. And so Ruth watches where Boaz falls asleep. He has plenty to eat, and plenty to drink. Boaz falls asleep. Ruth uh, dresses herself up, puts on her finest perfume, goes, uncovers his feet, and... Uh, don't you love verse 9? At midnight, verse 8, the man was startled. Yeah, I'd say so. The man was startled. He turned over, and behold, a woman was there, and he said, who are you? <laughs> yeah, that's what I who, What are you doing here? A little bit of an understated uh, authorship there. And... To appreciate what happens next, all right, so, so just get in your mind what, what every reader is thinking is going to happen. It's what you think is going to happen. Let's take a step back. The book of Ruth is set in the time of Judges. And Judges is a low point in the history of the people of God. Judges is described as that time in which there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And you find that refrain throughout the book of Ruth. It's a time of no kings, no right, no wrong. Maybe you've been through times where God has faded a little bit from your, uh, just faded. And that describes the time of judges. God had faded for everybody. God who? There's no right, capital R. There's no capital W, wrong. It's just whatever feels good, do it. Follow, follow the times. And that is the time in which Boaz and Naomi and Ruth lived. And that is the time in which Boaz wakes up and sees an attractive woman lying at his feet. The time when every man do, did what was right in their own eyes. And Boaz had every opportunity to do whatever he wanted. If you could kind of have a, a scale of where the power was, it was all on one side. Boaz, a man, Ruth, a woman, Boaz, an Israelite, Ruth, a Jew, uh, Ruth, uh, a Moabite, a foreigner, um, 
Boaz, wealthy, Ruth, impoverished. Like Boaz had, Ruth had placed herself in an incredibly compromising position. Boaz, Boaz had every opportunity to do whatever he wanted with no repercussions in the time when everybody did what was right in their own eyes and he didn't. Verse 13 is a pledge to marriage. Ruth and Boaz, pledge. there's no intimacy. The Bible is not bashful about some of the sordid details of relation. There's no intimacy. There's a pledge to marriage. Verse 14, she, Boaz protects Ruth's dignity. Don't let anyone know she was here. Verse 15, not only does Boaz not take, which he could have, he gives. He gives Ruth uh, a grain to provide for her. It just it reminds me of another story. Maybe as I've talked about Boaz's protection of Ruth, you're thinking of another story. There's actually a great, 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 great grandson of Boaz whose name was Joseph. And Joseph was a person, a man like Boaz, a person of quiet integrity who his was cared for a woman in a very vulnerable, vulnerable position. That woman, of course, was Mary, the mother of God. There's some striking parallels between how Boaz, the integrity of Boaz and his predicament and how he cared for the vulnerable and Joseph as well. But that's a little bit of a digression. One of the most reassuring promises of the Bible is that these small acts of integrity that Boaz showed here, his self-discipline and restraint, and the self-discipline and restraint of Ruth, uh, his integrity, no one was looking, uh, uh, his, his, his desire to do what is right in the eyes of God, not the eyes of man. One of the most reassuring promises of the Bible is those things count. It matters. Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not sit with scornful people, does not walk in the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On the law he meditates both day and night. They will be like a tree planted by streams of water. For, and here's the promise, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows. He sees. He approves. He uses the ways of the righteous, these small acts of integrity. When no one's looking, God sees. And that is one of the great promises of the Bible. It's also one of the most reoccurring questions. Really? Does he really? And while you have this great promise in Psalm 1, the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, you also have many questions. Does he really? Because there's plenty of righteous people who seem to get the short end of the stick, and plenty of people who do wrong who seem to be just fine. And so you find this question, did I keep my hands clean in vain? Did it matter when I did the right thing when no one was looking? Because oftentimes we can think, no. Everyone's doing it. No one will see. It doesn't matter anyways. And the book of Ruth says, that's wrong. The Lord sees. He knows the ways of the righteous. He approves the ways of the righteous. He uses the ways 
of the righteous. And I hope that's an assurance to you, an encouragement. I'm not suggesting anything so simplistic as do good and God's going to bless you. That's not, that's not the point. The point is, however, when we're in these murky places where we have the opportunity to do something that lacks integrity, when no one will see, no penalty, it matters. God sees, God uses, God approves of the acts of the righteous. So let me summarize. We've seen two ways God is at work in this chapter. Can God work in spite of you? Yep. There's nothing that you've broken so bad that God can't fix. Period. And that is a, I hope, an encouraging thought as you look in the rearview mirror of your life. But I think the real point of this passage is what we've just discussed. The story displays two people of integrity, two people who acted with faithfulness, two people who had every opportunity and every potential to do the wrong thing, but they did what was right, not in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of God. And those two people in that moment are seen by, approved by, and used by God in ways they could not possibly imagine. The story has a happy ending. We'll get to that. But Boaz and Ruth start a new family tree. And that family tree culminates in King David, who brings the people out of the time of judges when everyone does what is right in their own eyes to a time when everyone did what was right in God's eyes. And that is the happy ending of the book of Ruth. They have no idea. but yet it remains the case. They are used by God. So, as you leave this place, as you wake up tomorrow morning, I doubt that many of you are going to wake up and discover a Moabite woman lying at your feet. If you do, do what Boaz and Ruth did. Likely not going to happen. However, all of us are going to find ourselves in Murky situations, places where your integrity uh, will be called upon. In times when you could do what everyone else is doing, with no harm, no seeming repercussions. And in those moments, I want you to remember the message of the story. That the Lord knows the ways of the righteous. Righteous.